Last week, we started a new series um, here at the church. It's called Groupthink, Challenging Our Assumptions. Every one of us sitting here, we have certain assumptions that we carry through, whether it's your work week, whether it's at home, wherever you are, there are certain assumptions that we just, it's part of who we are. Some are founded. We have good reason why those assumptions are there. Some we just don't know. We just carry with us. We just, it's always been there. We've just never really thought about it. But today, our task, and over these next few weeks, our task is to take a moment, take a pause, and think for a few minutes about why do we think what we think? And why do we have these assumptions? There are a few assumptions that we were able to identify as a team, and we said, okay, let's talk through these. And uh, that's, so today, we'll, be, we'll have an opportunity to talk through one of those. Our culture today, we pride ourselves in where and how far we've come. We pride ourselves for how socially, economically, politically savvy we are. We pride ourselves on how progressive in our mindset we are. We, we pride ourselves on how progressive in technology we are. We pride ourselves in our individual freedoms. We pride ourselves our individual rights. We take a lot of pride in that, and you know, we have good reason. We've come a long way. But there is a question to be asked. What are we really taking pride in? What, is there substance behind what we're, what we're so proud of? Is it just something on the surface or is it rooted? We started last week with this, with this image of the flower, this flower vase. You look at it, it is beautiful. It livens up the stage, it livens up, it brings joy, it brings just happiness to those who see it. But there's something interesting about these flowers. These flowers will only remain like this for a couple more days. What happens after a few more days? They wither and die. When do they die? I would argue that they're already dead. They're just, they're beautiful, but they're kind of dead. Our society, much like these flowers, they're beautiful on the outside. There is plenty going on. But one can make the argument that once we cut off our roots from our foundation, when we've progressed so far as a community, when we've progressed so far as a society, and when we've said, you know what, those things that we hold as foundational principles, when we hold on the, the scripture that we were founded on, or the, the documents that we were once established on, on these things, when we say no to them and say, you know what, we've, those are old things, those are of the ancient days, we've, we've progressed. What we're essentially doing, we're cutting off our own roots. We're cutting off, we're being, we're, in, a, in a way, we're cutting off our own life supply. These flowers will remain pretty. They will remain beautiful just for a few more days. Then it's gone. Our culture, in a way, with the assumptions that we hold, we have a way of just remaining beautiful for a moment, but fading pretty soon. One such assumption that I want to I touch on today, I want to ask, I want to get started with a question. What is something that you enjoy? 
with something that you enjoy so much that if you had to give it up, it terrifies you a lot. And if you didn't get that subtle messaging, <laughs> Kathy did. For me, it's coffee. I love my coffee. Every morning, I wake up with it. If I did not, if I did not have my coffee that day, it's, it's a strange day. It's a rough day for especially everyone around me. <laughs> what are those things? Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something that you do, something you enjoy so much that if it were to be taken away, it terrifies you. Your life makes no sense anymore. If you've, uh, if you've ever watched the movie The Shawshank Redemption, there's a character, there's an old con who's in this prison, Brooks Hadlin. He was there, he had, uh, he, he one day became so enraged that he attacked another inmate. Not, not his usual self, but he attacked another inmate and, the, uh, and he had him at knife point and then there's this tense situation and the other inmates, they talk him down. He finally relents, he puts his knife down. But, so once this incident were, was over, two inmates, they were sitting outside in the yard, they're talking about what had just happened. And one of the inmates was convinced that Brooks went mad. Because what they realized, Brooks was just a few days away. He had just found out that his parole got approved and he was about to be set free. He was just a few days away from walking out of those prison, prison, through those prison doors and to be free forever. But the other gentleman, he looked at him and said, no, he's not gone mad. You see, for, for Brooks, this is all he knows in here. That's all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing but a used-up con. He probably couldn't even get a library card if he tried. You see, you may believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, these walls, these prison walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, and you get dependent on them. You see, what was interesting about Brooks was that he had been in prison so long that he had gotten comfortable. For him, the idea that he would have to leave his security, he would have to leave the comfort of these walls, he would have to leave the routine, terrified him. There was a moment of personal freedom that he was in, which for us from outside, we look at it and say, wait, you, that's not freedom. You're enslaved. You're in, in a prison. But for him, that's personal freedom. This morning, we're going to discuss a similar situation in which we can find ourselves. Sometimes we're living through comforts. Sometimes we're living through certain securities in our life. But just like Brooks, we may think it's freedom. We may think it's the world. But in reality, it is our prison. In reality, we're enslaved to it. One of the ideas that we want to, I want to talk through today is that there is an assumption of who we are and what we possess as an individual. What are the freedoms that we possess, the rights that we possess? You see, the individual 
didn't always have the rights that he has today or she has today. If you look through history, culture has changed and it has, countries have come and gone and the value of the individual has shifted all throughout history. At some points in history, it was not about the individual at all. It was about the society or the culture they were living in. That was most important. So you, as an individual, you did everything you could to protect, to make your community better, to sustain your culture. You had no rights as an individual. It was all about the community. But as time went on, Christianity comes into the picture. And in Christianity, Christianity reformed this idea that the individual, it was not all about the culture, but it was also that each individual person had dignity. They were created in the image of God, that every person on this planet, on this earth, they were created, they were masterfully created in the image of God. And so you here today, you have value, you have dignity, you have the image of God stamped on you. And that's what Christianity brought to the picture. Christianity said there was a Savior who would leave everything above and come down to this earth for you and for me. There's value. But you see, when as society, we kind of, we, we don't stay in one place for too long. We took this idea that there's value and there's dignity to a person and we kind of ran with it. Fast forward to today. Today, the value of the individual is primary. Our freedoms are of utmost prominence. Our, our rights, no one can infringe on our rights. No one can tell us what to do. Our right to choose is of most importance. We've transitioned from, in history, we've transitioned from where we had no dignity to all the way to where Christianity said, no, you do, there is value in you. Now to a point where we say, beyond just the value, beyond just our, uh, the, uh, the value that the, the community gives us, beyond the value that the church gives us, beyond the value that scripture gives us, now it's all about us. If, you, if, you, if, uh, if I could illustrate this for you, there was a Gallup poll taken just a few years ago, back in 2015. And it asks a, certain, a few questions. It asks the audience, what is the best way to find yourself? And they said the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. 91% of you as adults seem to agree, or at least in that group, they seem to agree. People should not criticize someone else's life choices. 89% seem to agree. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. 86 agree. The highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. 84% agree. People can be, believe whatever they want as long as it does not affect society. 79% agree. And maybe you're in this room and you're saying, what? so what is wrong with that? But you see, the focus in all these things, on all these questions, is not God, is not Scripture, is not our foundation, but it is on the individual. It is on the individual that has cut their roots off. It's on the person who is no longer connected to a worldview, no longer connected to Scripture, no longer connected to the basis. To, uh, to the foundation. 
You see, this is what we believe as a society, and maybe some of you may, may say, you know what, maybe I don't quite believe that. But as a society, this is what we have subscribed to. The goal of life is to be happy. Happiness is achieved by pursuing what we desire. Therefore, we should not restrain individual's freedoms. Rather, we should restrain anything that infringe on individual rights. We have subscribed this as, our, as our, who we are. We've, we've proclaimed this as our mantra. This is how we live. But the question is, is that really what it is, it's all about? Is that what true freedom is all about? Pursue life any way you want it. See, when something like law or religion stops people from doing what they want, rather than telling people to change their behavior, so often the approach in society is we change the law or we change religion. By and large, we believe this, but I bet many of us have not stopped to ask. We've not challenged this view. Does getting rid of constraints equate to true freedom? Let me ask you that again. Does getting rid of all constraints, get, getting rid of a worldview that says, this is how you live, does that equate to true freedom? If this is an idea you embrace, I hope we get to think about it a little deeper. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you embrace certain standards and, and norms that the, that the scriptures lay out for you. They, there are certain, certain ways that you live. But you may subscribe to those, but you live in a world that subscribes to the former. So how do you respond? How do you respond to your colleagues at work? Or how do you respond to those you go to school with? Or how do you respond to those in your community, the, the, the other people that you grew up with? who subscribe to the fact that, you know what, I can do whatever I want. I can, no one can tell me how to live my life. No one can put, impose their restrictions on me. And as a Christian, how do you reconcile that? How do you respond to that? So to help us evaluate this a little bit, let's turn to John chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. And if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn, them, turn there with me. If not, there's on the screen or there's a Bible right in front of you in, the, in those chair pockets. This is what John writes. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with, the fa with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. See, in this passage, just to lay the scene a little bit, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. He is talking to the Jews. He has been ministering to them. He's been healing them. He's been teaching them. He's been performing signs and wonders. And so he's talking to a certain set of Jews. So he sees that their faith 
John starts this passage off by saying he, he's talking to the Jews that had believed in him. And he sees that their faith is a little shaky. So Jesus decides, you know what, to, to shake their, their, their standing a little bit. To get them to think. And he says to them, when you encounter the truth, the truth will set you free. In essence, he was implying that you, the Jew in that moment, you're enslaved. So what, does the, what did the group of Jews do? They say, we've never been enslaved. Now, if, you, if you've read your Bible or if you've been around church or you've heard Bible stories enough, you know that's not true. They've been slaves they were slaves in Egypt, and at various points in their history, they were slaves. But here, they're not talking about a physical or a political situation, but instead, Jesus is looking at them and saying, there is beyond what the facade, beyond just the, what the prettiness of the moment is, there is a, a deeper reality. There is a spiritual reality that he is trying to address here, and he looks at them and says, you have yet to be set free. There's something in you that's enslaving you. There's something in you that's holding you. They, 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 Jesus' words cut right into their, into their hearts, and he, they challenge him. They're challenging him by denying that anything is actually wrong. They say, we've never been enslaved. What are you talking about? So often, when our freedoms, when our worldviews are challenged, when our individual freedom is challenged, this is our response too. We get defiant and say no. When someone comes up to you and says, friend, the way you're, the, the way you're living, the what, what you've been talking about, or the things that you've been watching, or whatever you've been doing, and really doesn't line up with the Word of God, or it doesn't line up with the, with the values that you say you have, our response sometimes is no. That's not who I am. It's, we deny it. See, we often want to live fiercely independent and free lives. As a society, we pride ourselves on being the land of the free. We value our freedoms highly. We don't take it lightly when someone treads on those freedoms. However, here's the, here's the truth. When our freedoms are left unrestricted, they tend to lead us back into slavery. See, when Jesus is looking at them, he's saying, yes, you're free in, in some sense of the word. You're not slaves in a, in a political way, but your freedom, your freedom to think, your freedom to practice, your freedom to live, if left unrestricted, if left unchecked, will lead you right back. You see, we've lived, we're living in an age, especially in this country, of unparalleled freedom. We have freedom to choose whatever we want to. We have freedom to pursue whatever path in life we want to. We have freedom to buy whatever we want to, live the way we want to, go where we want to. But where does that freedom take us? We've never, as much as we're free, we're also enslaved. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't quite agree with me, let me ask you. This morning, after you, guys, after you walked into this room, you put those phones away, how many of you looked at them again? There are a few. 
There are a few. We are tied to our technology. I'll admit, I looked at my phone a few minutes ago, right? We're tied to our technology. We're tied to those things that, that are, are always around us. How many of us are enslaved to our jobs? Moments where we could have spent with our families, moments we could have de devoted to, uh, to whatever passions that God has given us. We devoted to our jobs. We devoted in excess I'm not saying it's wrong to work, but I'm saying when, there, when it comes to a point where we're there more than we need to be, when, we're, when we are enslaved to success, when our idea of perfection, when our idea of the perfect life, the perfect, the perfect spouse, the perfect house, the perfect car, when we are tied to that idea and that's all, we're, that's all we live for, friend, we're enslaved. How many of, you, uh, how many of us are enslaved to pleasure? Is, is your pursuit of pleasure hurting your relationship with your spouse? Is that pursuit at the expense of the spouse's pleasure? Is that pursuit violating sacred vows and trusts? Are you spending your family into debt as you chase pleasure from one mountaintop to the other, from one vacation to the other, from one whatever it is, you get it. See, Jesus tells us no matter how forcefully we assert our freedom, we're still enslaved. We're all enslaved to sin. You see, Jesus is saying one who commits sin is enslaved to sin. In some way, one way or the other, we are enslaved. In our pursuit for autonomy, in our pursuit for freedom, in our pursuit to be all we can, we can be, we give in too much. Individual choice without restriction is not true freedom. Individual freedom without restriction leads us back into slavery. And that's what Jesus is looking at, the, at, the, at, the, at these Jews, and he's looking at this crowd, and he's saying, the truth shall set you free, and they deny it. But not only do they deny it, and when we come down to verse 37, Jesus calls out their hidden motives, and he says, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. You see, not only is their response when Jesus calls them out, when Jesus calls out their personal freedom, when Jesus calls out their individual freedoms and he says, you're still enslaved, their response is not only to deny it, but conspire to kill him. Well, today we may not conspire to kill anybody, but we do that to a certain extent. As individuals and as a society, sometimes when there is something that comes up that we don't like, when, 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 when Christianity calls us to a certain level of living and it says what you're living out is wrong, we have a way of killing the messenger. We say, you know what, let's legislate against it. Conservative principles today, if you look left and right, are on attack. The value of the family is, on is being attacked every moment. The value for life is being attacked at every moment. Wherever you look, these principles are under attack. It's not only enough to deny it, but society as a whole attacks it. Let's destroy it. Let's destroy morality because we all can define what we want for ourselves. That's what individual freedom looks like. 
You see, the Jews had a gut reaction to the truth because they knew that they had an incorrect understanding of what freedom was, of what slavery was. When confronted with the truth, that's how we respond. You see, individual freedom, when it's not restricted, only leads to more slavery. I mentioned a few minutes ago that we live in an age where there is unprecedented amount of freedom. But we also live in this country. We live in a time where the opioid crisis is at its zenith. It is at its highest. Just in these last few years, the number of unintentional deaths have risen 24%. The rate of suicide in this country has risen dramatically. The rate of alcohol addiction and alcohol dependence and disorders connected to it is at its highest than it's ever been. There is a need for counseling. There is a need for self-help. We are desperate. We are looking for something to hold on to because guess what? We're enslaved. But the question is, if we have all this personal freedom, if we, have, we, we say we are free, then why are we experiencing this? If we say we truly live out our freedom, that nothing can restrict us, then how can we find ourselves in these addictions? How can we find ourselves in these situations of death and addiction and destruction and hopelessness? Maybe that's you and your family today. You say, I want to be free, and I'll do whatever it takes to be free, but I find myself bound up, enslaved, caught up. If we, if we really are free and we're discovering happiness, then why are these things rising up in our families? Should they not be in decline? We must ask ourselves as we move this direction as a culture, are we really creating greater freedom? Or are we asserting to our right to do what we want and ignore the spiritual enslavement that goes with it. You see, removing barriers does not equate to freedom. Freedom comes when we have the right restrictions in place. Freedom comes when we have the right guardrails protecting us in place. You see, we have choice like never before. And sometimes that choice paralyzes us. Sometimes... That choice, we have so much of a choice. For example, if you were to walk into a grocery store today, you walk in, you head straight to the cereal aisle. Your task is to get cereal, and this is what you see. Pick one, quickly. See? We have so much choice around us. That sociologists, they call it, when we are confronted with this. On average, the American spends 53 hours or more in a grocery store throughout the year. That's 53 hours. <laughs> That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time trying to decide what we need to do, what we need to get. You see, sociologists call this analysis paralysis, 
When we are faced with such a decision, we often just freeze up or we choose something that we'll regret later. In a day where we have so much personal freedom, in a day where we have so much personal choice, we often freeze up or we choose the wrong thing because we live in an age where we're no longer connected to our roots. We are no longer connected to our foundation. We are cut flowers. In his book, The Paradox of Choice, uh, he's a sociologist, Barry Schwartz writes, autonomy and freedom of choice are critical to our well-being. And choice is critical to freedom and autonomy. Nonetheless, though modern Americans have more choice than any group, any other group of people ever has before, and thus presumably more freedom and autonomy, we don't seem to be benefiting from it psychologically, and I would add, or emotionally, or spiritually. We have all the choice in the world. We can do whatever we want. We can live however we want. But somehow, we still find ourselves in the hole. Sometimes it means restricting choice. One of my favorite stories of uh, Steve Jobs. Apple just came out with, you know, I, uh, the, the new Apple iPhone X. And so I love Steve Jobs. I've, all, I've read a lot about him. But one thing that I've I found peculiar about him. Have you ever seen G Steve Jobs dressed anything other than this? He's always in the tur black turtleneck with jeans and a sneaker. There's a reason to his madness. If you ask Steve Jobs, he would tell you he was one of the wealthiest, he's one, he was one of the wealthiest people when he was alive, and he could afford whatever he wanted to wear, but he restricted himself because he says, being able to wear just that takes the choice out of my hands. I don't have the freedom of saying, what will I wear today? How much time do we spend at our closets going through piece by piece saying, this, this doesn't work, this doesn't fit. For him, that choice was taken away, and he says he has better freedom because he's restricted it to a certain wardrobe. You see, freedom, sometimes when it's restricted, allows for us to live more freely. Keller, in his book on preaching, he writes, we take tactical freedom losses for strategic kingdom freedom gains. Let me break that down. We take certain losses for certain gains. We do that all the time. For example, how many of you are married here? Of all those people who are married, how many of you live like you're single? Not a single one. We had certain freedoms when we were single. But now that we are married, what happened to those freedoms? We laid them down, right? come in whatever time we wanted to, eat whatever we wanted to, hang out with anyone. All those freedoms, we kind of put it down. For what reason? Because there is a spouse, there is a person on the other end who is worth laying those freedoms down. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, you kind of need to start watching your diet now. So you do that. You watch your diet. You have the freedom to eat whatever you want. But you do that, why? Because there is a gain that's worth it. You take a loss now because there is a gain later. 
You take a loss in pleasure now so that you can live longer. You see, maybe that wardrobe change or the relationship or even the healthy way of living, those are small gains, small losses that we take. But does that still lead to ultimate freedom? See, a few moments ago I'd mentioned that as free as we say we are, we are still enslaved in sin. We restrict our freedom, yet we're still enslaved in sin. What can we do about it? The real answer, the honest answer, is nothing. There is nothing that you and I could do about it. So the, to find a solution, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is what it says. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's the ultimate freedom being restricted. Jesus restricted who he was, restricted his freedom, his pleasure, and he came to this earth. And every day that he lived on this earth, he restricted his freedom because he had an ultimate gain in mind. He had an ultimate price in mind. He knew that one day he would end up on that cross and that would be the ultimate loss of freedom he would take on so that you and I would walk in freedom, so that you and I could live free. He restricted his freedom so that you and I, we could live in total freedom. But you see, as the worship team comes up, that's not, the, that's not the full equation. Yes, he died. Yes, he restricted his freedom. But there is an additional piece there that needs to be done. There is a response from you and I that has to take place. You see, total freedom requires unrestricted surrender. On our part, there needs to be unrestricted surrender. There needs to be complete and absolute surrender to the work that he has done. And then only can we live in true freedom. You see, you as an individual, you have value. You have dignity. You are worth it. But it's not, there's nothing good about it until Jesus comes into the scene. You see, we are sinful we are broken, we are hopeless people, but Jesus comes in. But Jesus restricts his own freedom so that you and I could be free. This morning, as you're sitting here, you're hearing me. There may be certain things in your life that you are facing, certain areas of, that you feel like, God, I hope I want to be free, but I just cannot. There's a freedom that I long for, but I find myself bound up and entangled and in, in slavery. 
There are certain areas of my life, whether it be finances, whether it be my relationship, whether it be my emotional health, whether it be my psychological health, whether it be my physical health, whatever it may be, you may find yourself bound up, crying out, I'm looking for freedom somewhere. Here's the answer. True freedom requires unrestricted surrender. If you would come to him and say, God, I am thankful for what your son Jesus did on that cross. And that is what I need. And that is what I surrender to. So this morning, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, I would ask each and every one of you to take a moment. We'll go into worship in a few minutes, but take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to pray. Take a moment to ask God. God, show me those areas. Maybe there's an area of entanglement. Maybe there's an area of enslavement that you are not even aware of. Pray, ask, saying, God, speak to me. What is that area? And as we pray, let's pray that He speaks to you. Let that His Holy Spirit does the work that needs to be done in your heart. Father, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for that. We have true freedom in You. We have true freedom through what Your Son did on that cross. We are no longer slaves, but instead we are child of the King. We are no longer slaves to this world. We are no longer bound, no longer restricted, but we live in true freedom because of what you have done. And Lord, I pray for each of us in this room, each of us hearing this message, that you would speak to us, highlight, enlighten us, those areas that need to be addressed. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.